0: Hello, we're pleased you've been able to tune in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Welcome to the program. So
1: here we have the scribes and the Pharisees, the one who are appealing to Jesus about this woman who has broken the law, when right now they are breaking the law.
0: Have you noticed that one of the failings of human nature is to point the finger at others and their mistakes, mainly in the hope that no one will notice ours. It's not new either, it's been happening for centuries. In the New Testament book of John, we see recorded the encounter Jesus had with a woman caught in the act of adultery. What was he to do with this obviously wayward and sinful woman? Well, there was so much more in play, and Jesus knew it. He graciously addressed all the stakeholders in the most awesome way. I invite you to stay tuned now as Dr. Corbett introduces the court woman. We're
1: going to be continuing through the last gospel series, and this is John's gospel of belief. Let's pray. Father, help us to hear your voice. Help us to be sensitive to what you would reveal in your word by your spirit. I pray, Lord, that you grant me the ability to make clear what you have put in your word. And I pray for this in Jesus' name. We're going to be looking at what I consider to be one of the most moving stories in the entire New Testament. But there is a problem. And the problem as we look at this, and this is... This is our, our next installment, and I'm calling it the court woman. The court woman. She was caught in something, and she became the focal point of what the scribes and Pharisees sought to trap Jesus with. But we've got to ask a question first off, because this is not as easy to answer as it might sound. In many of your Bibles, you'll have this entire passage from either uh, John 8 verse 1 down to verse 11 or even from chapter 7 verse 53 down to uh, John 8 11 in some kind of brackets or some kind of asterisk and and it will indicate that there is some doubt as to whether this section of the Bible should even be included here. And there's good reason for that and the good reason is that the oldest manuscripts of the Gospel of John do not actually contain this passage. It occurs somewhere around the fourth or fifth century that it begins to appear but it doesn't just begin to appear in john's gospel in fact it occurs in luke's gospel after luke chapter 21 verse 38 and there'd be good reason to think it would be more appropriate there because it says this and early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him and of course as we're reading through the Gospel of John, we can see that's exactly where we are up to in the story of what Jesus is doing in the in the tap in the, the temple, where he's there at the the feast of booths, and he's already uh, taken that last great day of the feast where the the water ceremony happened, where they came and got their drinking water, and he said, "Come to me, all who thirst." So it would make sense that someone has decided, well, if there's anywhere it's going to go in the Gospel of John, it should go here. Because one of the odd places that it was put by a scholar, or rather a scribe, many centuries ago was was after the close of John's Gospel, which simply tells us two things. One is, they knew this was genuine. They knew this was a genuine account. And secondly, they didn't know where to put it. Now, there's a couple of problems with putting it in the Gospel of John. Uh, having said that, I'm going to show why I think it, it belongs there in a moment. But it's almost certainly a passage that was not written by John. Now, this raises a question. For something to be in the Bible, does it need to be written by the, the, the traditional author? And I'm going to suggest maybe not, maybe not. And there's, I have good reasons for that. And that's, for example, we could look at books of the Old Testament, such as First Samuel, or Second Samuel for that matter. Uh, Samuel dies in First Samuel before the, the end of the book. So clearly he did not write the end of the book. We could do the same thing with the book of Deuteronomy. You know, which is referred to as the 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 Book of Moses. Uh, Moses dies. It, it, it tells us that he dies there. So someone else wrote that ending, and I believe that was divinely inspired. I believe that was ordained by God, and it is credible, and it is what Paul, in writing to Timothy, calls God breathed Scripture. In the same sense, I I think this is God breathed. I think this is a genuine story, but we have evidence that this account was probably handed down orally for quite a long time. And the reason it was handed down orally was because it was such a beautiful and profound story. There is much to learn about Jesus, about his opponents, about how Jesus treated women, and about his mission from this story that's why i think this story belongs in john it doesn't have to have been written by john in fact i think there's other parts of the gospel of john that i'll i'll show you as we get there that could not have been written by john and that's okay i don't think we should be fretting about that i think we've seen even in paul's letters that he used a secretary to write his many of his epistles and sometimes the secretary slips in a greeting and i think that was by the divine authorization and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So I think that's fine. So we accept this, I think we should accept this account in the opening verses, 11 verses of John's Gospel and chapter 8, as a genuine account of something that actually happened. But I don't know that it's attributable to to john and there's reasons why we could conclude that one of them is the use of language john uses some expressions in this account or sorry the account uses some expressions that john never uses anywhere else in his gospel but luke does so that's why many scholars believe this was probably an account written down by luke but for some reason not included in his gospel but if it was to be it would fit into exactly the same time frame as it occurs here in the Gospel of John, which is why I think a scholar chose to put it there. So this I mentioned that we learn a lot here about Jesus. We learn that he had an incredibly high opinion of women. And for for that reason, some have suggested that's why it doesn't belong in the Gospel of John. But that ignores already the fact That in John chapter 2, Jesus honours his mother and his mother honours him. He has a beautiful relationship with his mother. In John chapter 4, we've already seen about the Samaritan woman. It's a beautiful account of how Jesus showed favour and kindness and deep respect for a woman who was despised. We see in John chapter 11, his obviously his long-standing fondness for mary and martha they were they were very close to jesus because they could write to him or contact him or send him a message saying lazarus is ill and they expected that he would respond well he did respond and rather dramatically and then we see further evidence of that in john chapter 12 when mary the sister of martha for what we would have to consider to be the, at, least, at least the second time this happens in the life of Christ, where she takes a bottle of very expensive perfume and she pours it over the head of Jesus. And so he, we, we see Jesus honoring women in those instances. And then finally, at his resurrection, the first one he appears to, is Mary Magdalene Mary Magdalene and she she her exchange with Jesus in John chapter 20 is is a powerful exchange because she hugs him and thank God she did because we we now have further evidence because of that that it wasn't a hallucination she was seeing you can't hug an hallucination she was hugging Jesus the real physically resurrected Jesus and Jesus says don't cling to me in other words you can you can mary it's not over yet i've got more to do it's not this is not the end this is there is more to do and i will be leaving soon i'm not hanging around i suppose if i to paraphrase that don't cling to me so let's have a look at this story i hope that you can begin to see the wonderment here And we pick it up when it says, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. So he's overlooking Jerusalem. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. So to do that, you go down, you go up a little valley, you enter into Jerusalem, and you go to the temple. Now, we've already seen that that's where he's been. Very, very public. And he's been there day after day teaching in the temple precinct. The religious leaders knew it, and we've just seen in in our last episode that there was almost a contract out on Christ's life, and and there were multiple people who knew that. They'd heard the religious leaders say, if we find this man, we're going to execute him, we're going to kill him. And when he turned up in their territory, they didn't touch him. And we've already seen that God the Father had protected his son From that happening because there was a plan, the plan of redemption that necessitated Jesus going to the cross. So we have here all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. So whether he sat down on a step or whether there was some place where he could sit as a teacher and the people just gathered around. So they gathered around and he's teaching them. So it's well known that he'd been there day after day now for, for quite a few days. And so we read that something was about to happen. So the first thing we need to notice is this is happening in a very public space, a very public space. Lots of people are there. And that sort of lends support to how this became such a widespread oral tradition. It's one of the reasons why scholars look at the account of, of the woman, the court woman, and there's slight variation in the, the narrative in, in different manuscripts. And it's, it's little wonder, because there was so much oral tradition surrounding this. So that, that's not a surprise at all. So we read in verse three, the scribes and Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. Wow, caught in the act of adultery. So we can only imagine what she was wearing or not wearing. We can only imagine the state of her emotional state There's no way she was a plant. There's no way she was playing a game like the scribes and Pharisees were playing a game. This would have been quite a scene. So we note here this expression, the scribes and Pharisees. I've mentioned to you, John never says that. So I think we just need to overlook that. And let's just engage with the story right now. These people, the scribes and Pharisees, the religious leaders that have already publicly stated they are on a mission to execute Jesus they brought this woman caught in adultery and they place her right in the midst right in front of Jesus right in front of the crowd now what was this woman guilty of well the text says adultery well most probably she was guilty of breaching what we well the bible calls her betrothal and we could wonder what what was happening there we could wonder well who is she betrothed to? Where's her betrothed? Where's where, it, it, it? It appears that it wasn't necessarily to someone she was married to yet. Now this doesn't excuse it. In fact, we're going to see Jesus does not excuse what she's done. In fact, he's going to be very, very clear that what she has done is sin. He's actually going to call it sin. So we read in verse four, they said to him, they said to Jesus, teacher. You can almost hear the, the, the mockery when they call him teacher because they did not respect him as a teacher. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, right there, let's just pause this for a moment. There are laws which we'll look at in a moment which tell us how someone with, who was guilty of this sin was to be regarded and what was to happen there's a certain procedure involved and that procedure involved both parties not just the woman and the law actually prescribes that so here we have the scribes and the pharisees the one who are appealing to jesus about this woman who has broken the law when right now they are breaking the law and they don't recognize it in other words their own sin is on public display and they are so arrogant in their sin that they don't acknowledge or even think they've done anything wrong in this sense the bad guys in this story is not the woman it's the religious leaders and it's not that they it's not because they're religious it's because they are hypocritical and all the damage that happens to people who are seeking truth who are seeking to know the love of God the forgiveness of God who are bound by guilt and shame and are looking for cleansing and forgiveness when they meet someone who is a religious person who is acting deliberately hypocritical well that's what's happening here and we can see that their hypocrisy is now in public display this is tragic in john chapter 8 verse 5 it says now in the law this is what they say to jesus moses commanded us to stone such a woman what do you say well firstly i would say let's have a closer look at that law shall we now jesus doesn't actually do that but why don't we have a closer look at it now That law is found in Leviticus chapter 20 and verse 10. It says this If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. It's pretty hard to escape what the actual penalty was from that law of Moses. That law of Moses is repeated in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means the second giving of the law. In chapter 22, verses 22 and 20, chapter 22 and verse 22, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, including a betrothed, both of them shall die the man who lay with the woman and the woman. So you shall purge the evil from Israel. If there is, verse 23, a betrothed virgin, and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, Then you shall bring them both out to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, even though she was near a city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife. Now note that, only betrothed yet considered to be wife. In other words, the marriage hasn't happened yet, but the betrothal was as good as being married, although the covenant had not yet been formed so you shall purge the evil from your midst, it says in Deuteronomy 22 and 24. So we see here that these religious leaders had not themselves kept the very law; They were now accusing this woman of breaking. there's an interesting thing when religious leaders intentionally, willfully do not obey God. In fact, it's a A sad, sad reality. John chapter 8, verse 6. They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Oh, we know they already wanted to execute him. But they didn't have anything to pin on him. They had no reason to. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. We don't know what Jesus wrote. But we do know that he did two things. Whatever he wrote, he essentially somehow upheld the law they were actually citing. Secondly, he demonstrated that he came not just with the law, the weight of the law, he came with how John opens his gospel in verse 14. John says that Jesus came as the word God, Made flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17 For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So we don't know what Jesus wrote in the ground, but whatever it was, it convicted those religious leaders, it convicted Her accusers. Verse 7. And as they continued to ask him, so Jesus is writing in the ground, he stood up, possibly stood back from what he'd just written in the ground. They were right there. They could see it. They, they They were right in his space. He stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Well, who... Who is without sin? Who fits the bill? These people had, these religious leaders had just sinned by not themselves obeying the very law they were appealing to. Where's the man? They hadn't done it and they knew they hadn't done it, and Jesus calls them out on it. He doesn't say that law shouldn't be obeyed because all God's laws should be obeyed. But he calls them out on their hypocrisy. May God help us, those of us who know him, to have a heart humble enough to say, God, I want to follow you with my whole heart without any hypocrisy. Please, Lord, help me. So these religious leaders had now been exposed as sinners themselves. What was the result? The result lingered in the air and Jesus, it says in verse 8, once more he bent down and wrote, on the ground but when they heard it so it must have been something that he wrote that the people could read and perhaps the religious leaders are hearing it or maybe it's just the fact that jesus said what he said but the result was they went away one by one beginning with the older ones and jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him and jesus said to her Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. See that? From now on, sin no more. It's important to realize what, jesus has done here and i think many people simply think he's excused her sin he's just ignored it that's not what's happening here at all jesus did not excuse her sin he didn't ignore her sin or tell her that it didn't matter that's not what's going on here it's important to understand that god's forgiveness of sins as we're seeing in almost in in this episode does not mean that sin has no consequences. You know why? Because in a week, in a week, Jesus would be nailed to a Roman cross to pay the price for sin. Your sin and my sin. Before he got to the cross, he would go through incredible pain psychologically, emotionally, physically. He paid a price because he bore the weight of sin and shame and guilt on himself the only one in human history who's never sinned began to feel the consequences of sin on him when jesus died on that cross he left this dimension and took that sin guilt and shame into the dimension of eternity and there atoned for sins And he came back into this dimension when he was raised from the dead. And that's why what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago is still relevant for today. God's forgiveness doesn't mean there wasn't and isn't any consequences to sin. The consequence still rings down through the ages that Jesus died. He, as the creed says, he suffered and died. For your sin and mine. Someone has said, I I really can't believe in any God who would want to judge people for a little sin by punishing them for eternity. You know, the the penalty of a crime is a statement about the gravity of that crime. And in one sense, thank God that our justice system ordinarily doesn't attribute the time taken to commit a crime with the penalty for that crime. I mean, I'm guessing, I have no experience in this, but I'm guessing that murder with a, 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 whatever weapon you've got, whether it be a gun or a knife or whatever, might not take very long at all. And it would be ludicrous to suggest that that's the only amount of time taken to murder someone that should be then the their endurance of punishment. That would be absurd. Can you imagine sinning against the eternal God rebelling against the eternal God what's the consequence eternal and here we now have God offering each one of us forgiveness so that we can escape the eternal consequences and as Jesus says to this woman go and sin no more he is charging her to do this beautiful thing called repent repentance repentance is a change of heart a change of mind a change of direction and he set her on a new course i could imagine that she went back realizing that she'd been granted a second chance a second chance and the god who forgives today not only gives second chances he gives third fourth fifth sixth seventh and so on chances to all who will come to him and repent, have a change of heart and mind about what they've done and turn to him, recognizing that he is beautifully good, beautifully holy, beautifully right. And that's what's happening here. So God's forgiveness of our sin doesn't mean that our sin is not punished. It means... That God's forgiveness of our sins means that Christ has borne the punishment for our sins. This is such an important point to understand. It's like that word free. Free meal, free ticket, free whatever it is. Free doesn't mean there's no cost. It means someone else is paying the cost. And God is offering you the free gift of eternal life. It doesn't mean there's no cost. It means he's paid the cost. God's love for sinners, that's you and I, does not downplay the gravity of sin as the cross of Christ demonstrates. When Christ was dying on that cross 2,000 years ago because of his ability to be An exclusive ability to be omniscient, meaning he knows everything. He saw you. He saw me. He saw what we would do. And he willingly laid down his life and bore our penalty on that cross and took our sin, guilt and shame into eternity to forever atone for it. That's why we say Christianity is not spelt D-O. It's not what you can do. You can't make right what the wrongs you've done. It just does not work like that. But God can and God has. So no matter what you've done or who knows what has been done to you, God is offering to forgive you through his son. He's offering you that forgiveness now. You are not a million miles away from God. You are just one prayer. And you can pray that prayer right now. A prayer from your heart. A prayer that says, God, I want to receive your forgiveness. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I want to live for you. Please help me because I need your help you pray a prayer like that from your heart, I guarantee you your life will be different from this time forward. If you have, reach out to us at findingtruthmatters.org and we'd love to get some material to you. Father, I pray bless all those now who have joined with us in this message and I pray, Father, that you would speak to each one in Jesus' name. Amen. If
0: you'd like to listen again or you've missed a program, you'll find an archive of all previous episodes on our website, findingtruthmatters.org. For tonight's program, select The Last Gospel Part 13 from our online store. You can also find the podcast by subscribing to Finding Truth Matters on iTunes, Spotify, or SoundCloud. As we've heard tonight, Jesus did not excuse or ignore her sin. God's forgiveness does not remove the consequences but Christ has borne the punishment for it. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to meeting with you again same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.